in my entire life, I think the closest thing I've ever had to experiencing a boot camp kind of training uh, experience was 15 years ago. It was the spring of uh, 1998, and I was living in a rented house in Port Dalhousie with Jeff Lockyer and Chris Fowler, who both work here at Southridge. And, and I said to Jeff 15 years ago, I want you to put me on a training program. I want you to design a, a running program for me to get me into shape. And Jeff designed a running program with a vengeance. I think his aim was to try and kill me. Uh, By the end of that summer, I had put close to 1,500 kilometers on the road. We were running, I was running upwards of 80 or more kilometers every single week. The long run on, on Saturdays was 30 kilometers. It was absolutely insane. Back then, I was, uh, by the end of that summer, I was 135 pounds. I was like tiny, invisible if I turned sideways. I entered four races that year. Um, And in one of them, came third in my age class, having run part of the race in under six-minute miles. That is by far the fittest I have ever been in my life. The sad reality is that I still run today. Um, In fact, I ran today. And um, my running today is uh, different than what it was 15 years ago. I, I think this week I ran less than 20 kilometers for the whole week. I probably chugged out um, nine-minute miles, uh, crawling down the road. I'm 30 or 35 pounds heavier than I was back then, and if I in, registered for a race now, I'd be lucky to finish and get the participants' ribbon. It's just a completely different reality. And sometimes I'm, I get really frustrated by that. And I think, why can't it be more like it was? Why can't my running life now be like what my running life was 15 years ago? And then I think sometimes, when I think about my spiritual life, that I have exactly the same question. That there are seasons of my life in relationship with God where I'm just blazing. I am flying down the road. I'm fit. I'm lean. Things are happening. It's exciting. I'm winning races, so to speak. Everything just feels like it's up and to the right. And then there are seasons where I feel like everything is a dead crawl. In my relationship with God, if I get out the door at all, I'm barely moving and hardly even qualify as participating in a life with God. And And the same question registers. What's the difference between those kinds of seasons? I think there are a lot of possible answers uh, to those questions. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24, the Apostle Paul uncovers what I think is one of the reasons, one of the differences between those two kinds of seasons. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Do you not know... That in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. In, In his letter to the church that meets in the city of Corinth, Paul reflects on this life of athletic competition. And he says, you know what? In a lot of ways, the life of athletics is a lot like a life 
the spiritual life that we have with Jesus Christ. Now, it's a metaphor that would have meant a lot to the church in Corinth. See, every other summer, the city of Corinth hosted what was the second largest, second most important athletic contest in the entire ancient Western world, second only to the ancient Olympics. It was called the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games, like the modern or ancient Olympics, was a festival of art and religion and multiculturalism and athletics where people would gather from across the Roman Empire by the thousands and the tens of thousands in the city of Corinth to watch competitors compete in six games in running, boxing, wrestling, jumping, javelin, and discus. In the summer of 51 CE, Paul was living in the city of Corinth while Corinth was hosting the Isthmian Games. He was planting a church there and working a day job as a tent maker. And there's absolutely no question that Paul in those days was spending his time making tents to house all of the visitors who were coming to Corinth to watch the games. And Paul reflects on that whole experience and says, I see the similarities between the spiritual life and the athletic competition. Because in in our spiritual world, in the spiritual realm, all of us are running a race. All of us are competing, not against each other, but we are competing to win a prize. The race that we're trying to run is the race of living a spiritual life spiritually fulfilling and and satisfying, meaningful, worthwhile life. To, To be able on our deathbed to look back on our life and to say that we were everything God created us to be and we did everything God called us to do. That we experienced more and better life than we could have ever imagined and to anticipate something even better on the other side. Paul says that's, that's the life that we're running to, to experience the most, the race we're running is to experience the most of life. But he says everybody's running, but not everybody's running the same way. Everybody's running a different kind of race. See, some people are trying to experience that life through marriage and, and family and, and parenting and so on. And some people are trying to experience that life through fun and pleasure. And some people are trying to experience that life through sex and romance. And some people through a business accomplishments or a com- establishing a comfortable lifestyle or through family or friends and, and popularity or through a life of faith. Everybody's running a different kind of race. And Paul says not all the races are the same because not everybody at the end of the day, wins the prize. The prize in the Isthmian Games was a wreath woven of celery stock that was awarded to the winner in each of the contests. Now, I've never woven a wreath before. It seems like finicky work, like it's difficult and complicated. I've certainly never woven a wreath of celery that seems awfully crisp and thick for the task. So what the Isthmian Games uh, officials, what they had to do is they had to wait until the celery was fading, until it was withered and, and wilted and soft and droopy. And, and at that point, you could weave it into a beautiful wreath for the winner. The problem was by the time you awarded the wreath, it was practically ready for the organics bin. It was a crown that wasn't going to last. And Paul says when we run the race, we run it for a crown, a reward that will last. Jeff talked about this last week, about 
um, spiritual training for this present life and for all of eternity. To experience the kind of life that God's designed us to experience. A life of peace with him that results in forgiveness and freedom and closeness with God. A life of peace with ourselves that results in healing and transformation and maturity of character and personhood. A a life of peace with each other that results in reconciliation and connectedness and, and mutual support. And a life of peace with the world expressed through compassion and justice and living for rightness for everybody. This, this sense of being at right, being right, being at peace with everything, being reconciled in all things to God. Paul says this is, this is the prize that we're running for, the prize that um, we experience now and then all through eternity. So what's the difference? What's the difference between those times and seasons and people who actually genuinely run the race and win the prize and experience the life has called us to do and those who don't? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, he says those that run enter into strict training. The the phrase literally means they train themselves to obtain mastery over their desires and impulses and, and feelings and thoughts and actions and so on. They, they, they train or they exercise discipline to build self-control. They have power over their lives. They go into strict training. They live a life of discipline that trains their body to do the things their body needs to do in order to run the race and win the prize. Now in the Isthmian Games, a competitor had to go through 10 months of training by rule. You had to engage in 10 months of strict training, exercising various ways and, and, and have, adhering to a certain kind of diet. And then the last 30 days of your training regimen, you had to live in the Isthmian village. It's kind of like the Olympic village. You had to, so that you could be monitored by the, by the competition officials who could, who could sign off on the fact that you had adhered to the strict training requirements. And if you didn't, it was said that you had sinned against the games and you were disqualified. Running the race to win meant the strict discipline of training, the hard work of training your body to do and respond the way it was created to be. And Paul, in in the next verses, he uses himself as an example of somebody who has lived a life of this kind of training. He says, therefore, I, he said, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I, I have lived this way. I'm, I'm out there and I'm running the race. And he says, I'm not running the race like somebody running aimlessly. Uh, what he means is somebody running um, in any direction whatsoever. Uh, there was an old Monty Python bit um, that had to do with a, a unique kind of Olympics um, 
for people who, who uh, had disabilities of various kinds, but the disabilities were strange. There was a marathon for people who had bladder control problems. Uh, the lead was constantly changing hands as people ducked into the woods. There was, um, there was a uh, 200 meter freestyle for the deaf and they couldn't hear the starter pistol go off. But there was a 100 meter dash for people with no sense of direction. And they all lined up on the starter's line and the pistol went off and they scattered in every direction. Paul says, I'm not doing that. I'm not running just in any direction. I'm not getting distracted. I'm not getting pulled to the side. I'm not getting detouring and wandering out of my lane. He says, I'm running as somebody who knows where the finish line is, and that's where all of my focus is. I'm focused on the finish line. He says, I'm not beating the air like a boxer who's not landing any blows. I'm not flailing madly in the ring, just hoping to land a punch here and there. Every move, Paul says, is carefully choreographed and purposely created in order to land blow after blow after blow until I achieve the knockout and win the victory. I'm doing things on purpose. And he says, in order to compete that way, is where he kind of messes with the metaphor. He says, I'm boxing, but I'm beating myself up. He says, I strike a blow against my body. I give myself a black eye, literally. It, it says, I, you know, I, I'm beating myself into submission. I am wearing myself down. I am disciplining myself into obedience until my body responds the way it's supposed to respond and it does what I want it to do so that I can live a life of loving God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and loving everyone else as much as I love myself and loving the world with God's compassion and justice. Paul says, I beat myself up. I discipline myself through strict training to live that life. Now, Jeff mentioned this last week, and I want to be crystal clear about this. What Paul is not saying is that... um, we make ourselves better people by sheer force of effort. It's not saying we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. In fact, Jeff read this verse last week in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul's talking about. Work out your salvation. Work at it. The word work is actually energy. Pour energy into bringing your allegiance to Jesus Christ to the place that it ought to be. For, he says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. You pour your energy in for God is energizing you to transform your will and to change your behavior until it conforms with the life that he has for you. Um, Paul says, We work, it is by our energy invested in our life with God, our blood, sweat, and tears that we pour out that God then energizes to bring about the transformation in our life. We work and God changes us. We work and he works and we become partners together with God in our own growth. But Paul says the kind of life that you want to lead that is spiritually fulfilling, the kind of life that wins the eternal prize of being more and better life than you could have ever imagined is never going to come about in your life until you're ready to enter into strict training, severe discipline, until you're ready to pour your blood and sweat and tears into becoming the person God has created you to be. And then he energizes that and brings about the change. 
the difference between the way I ran 15 years ago and the way I run today is training. It's discipline. I was way more disciplined then and the training was way more intense then than it is right now. And oftentimes in my life, the difference between those days when I am running at a blazing speed with God and the days when my life with him is just sort of plodding along is discipline. Is the investment of blood and sweat and tears that I'm either making or not making that makes all the difference. So what does that look like? I think it looks like two things for us this morning. I did some reading on the psychology of discipline this last week, and I was, I was delighted to discover that the four aspects that are all required in order for discipline to take hold in a person's life are all the things that we had already decided we wanted to talk about in this series. The first thing is an intention. So what Jeff talked about last week, the line in the sand moment where you say from this moment on, things are going to be different. Come hell or high water, things in my life are going to change. The fourth thing that's required is guidance. It's community. It's what we're going to talk about next week. But the middle two between intention and community are attention, attentiveness to what's happening in our life, and repetition. Attentiveness and repetition. Those are the two aspects of discipline that I think create the opportunity for our lives with God to take off and for us to become the people he's created us to be. So first of all, our spiritual growth takes off to the degree that we devote ourselves to being attentive to the spiritual dynamics in our lives. In um, Proverbs chapter 6, Starting in verse 6, the proverbial writer says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. No offense, by the way. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. The the proverbial writer says, look at the ant. The ant is the perfect model of self-discipline. It doesn't have a boss. It doesn't have a ruler. It doesn't have a parent. It doesn't have a spouse who's nagging away to make sure that everything gets done that needs to get done. No, the ant knows that if it's going to eat in the winter, it's got to do the work of storing away food in the summer. And so it is disciplined to do the work. But he goes on to say, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. (laughs) He says, to the degree that you are attentive to what is going on around you. That's the degree to which you will experience success. The more inattentive you are, the more lazy and sloppy you are in paying attention to what's happening around you, the more your life decays into ruin. Inattentiveness leads to ruin. And that's true financially and vocationally and spiritually. Inattentiveness leads to ruin. In university... I had a friend named Al. And when Al showed up in first year, Al was as committed to following Jesus Christ as any of us. Um, Came from a good Christian home. His brother was a pastor. The whole nine yards. This was a church kid. But somewhere along the way in university, somebody in a conversation with Al said, you know what, Al, you enjoy Scrabble so much. You should come 
It's a Scrabble club. And Al said, okay. And at Scrabble club, somebody said, Al, you know, you're pretty good at this game. Um, you should uh, go to the tournament that's coming up. And he said, well, when is it? And they said, it's Sunday morning. And Al said, I'll be there. And that Sunday morning, instead of choosing to go to worship, Al chose to go to Scrabble, which is not a huge deal. I I miss church sometimes too. It was a little while after that somebody said, you know, Al, you did pretty well at that tournament. Um, There's another one coming up. I think you should compete. And Al said, sure, when is it? And they said, Sunday morning. And he said, I'll be there. And Al did very well. And shortly after that, Al was at a tournament on a Sunday morning that he won. And shortly after that, Al skipped church to go to a Scrabble tournament and he won again. And shortly after that, when Al wasn't winning Scrabble tournaments, he was refing Scrabble tournaments on Sunday mornings. And when he wasn't refing, he was organizing Scrabble tournaments on Sunday mornings. And Al subtly, not intentionally, not purposefully, but Al took all of the energy that he used to pour into his relationship with Christ on Sunday mornings and he diverted it to Scrabble. And years later, Al is pretty well, nowhere, pretty well nowhere in his relationship with Jesus Christ because of Scrabble. In fact, this week I went onto Al's Facebook page, and I know a Facebook page doesn't tell you everything, and I'm going to tell you the whole story anyway. But I wanted to see if there was any sense for where Al was at in his faith, and As I looked at his Facebook page, I saw no mention of his faith whatsoever, but I did see that Al won a Mississauga Scrabble tournament on Sunday, July 28th. Al's the only guy I know who's ever lost his faith to Scrabble. And it wasn't Scrabble, it was inattentiveness. Al diverted his attention. He was distracted away from focusing his energy on nurturing his relationship with Jesus Christ and he began to pay more attention to other stuff instead. And years later, he is where he is. I believe the proverbial writer is exactly right when he says the degree to which we nurture and channel our attentiveness into our spiritual life is the degree to which we will experience growth and success in our relationship with Christ. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like anything that helps you divert your attention in a regular way back to your relationship with Jesus Christ. It looks like attending worship on a regular basis. We gather in this environment week after week to remind ourselves that Jesus lived and died on the cross and was raised to the dead from the dead so that our lives and our world could be different to the degree that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love each other as much as we love ourselves and love the world with God's generous compassion and justice. That's what these moments are for. They're for our attentiveness. I, uh, I have a friend whose car I borrow with regularity and one day I got into her car and sat down behind the wheel and went to start it 
and I saw this note posted on the dashboard. It's a verse from Jeremiah 2, verse 25. I don't know if you can read it, but it says, slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? And for as long as that note has been posted in her car, every time I borrow it and look down at the dashboard, there is something that draws my attention back to the life that Jesus Christ is inviting me into. I often wear a black bracelet. I forgot it today for some reason. But the black bracelet that you've seen me wear is from the Orthodox Christian tradition. In the Serbian Orthodox Church, you wear the black bracelet on your left wrist as a daily, moment-by-moment reminder that we've been invited to a life of continual prayer. It's a reminder to pray, especially what they call the Jesus Prayer, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And every time I see the black bracelet, it reminds me of how much I need Jesus Christ. It's attentiveness. I think the discipline of confession is a discipline of, of attentiveness. In James 5, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The verse makes a direct link between the intentionality with which we confess our sins to God and especially to each other and the healing we experience in our life. Because um, the act of confession draws to our attention again our desperate need for Christ. And on and on you could go. I think the Bible says that God shapes our lives through uh, suffering. And so the discipline of journaling our stories and trying to sort out our experiences and what God may be teaching us is a way of fostering attentiveness. Every week in the mini magazine on Sunday morning and on the messages page of our website, we publish spiritual exercises that are there for you to do during the week to nurture attentiveness. Because the degree to which we are attentive to our relationship with Christ is the degree to which our relationship with Christ will grow and we'll begin to run the kind of race in a way that allows us to win the prize of the life that God has always wanted us to live. So we need to nurture attentiveness and we need to practice repetition. Back to the proverb, Proverb 30. It says, four things on earth are small yet are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up food in the summer. I got an ant thing going on this morning. But the proverbial writer makes an interesting observation about ants. He says they're really tiny creatures and they're, and they're not that strong in the, in the absolute sense. I know that they can proportionally carry more than humans. But in the absolute sense, they're not that strong. They can't carry that much. And yet somehow they manage to store up enough food to supply not only them, but the entire colony for the winter. How do they do that? when they can't carry very much. They have little strength. They do it one grain of rice at a time. They do what they can do, and they do it over and over and over and over again until they achieve the goal. And it's the same way with our investments of blood and sweat and time and effort and energy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're being invited to do what we can do over and over and over again until we experience the goal. Um, My brother years ago was not in a great place in his relationship with Christ. He would say back then that his life depended on three things, girls, goals, and God. 
And if two of those three things were in good shape, then he was probably fine. But this was a season of his life where zero of those things were in good shape. And one morning he went out for breakfast with our friend Ben, who's on staff here at the church. And he said to Ben, you know what? I've just about had it with faith. I'm just about done with God. I'm ready to check out of the whole thing and just be finished. I tried the God thing. It doesn't work for me. And Ben looked at him and said, have you, have you really been trying the God thing? He said, uh, how much time have you been spending you know, reading scripture and, and praying, kind of nurturing that relationship with God? And Joel said, well, I haven't really been, been doing that. And so Ben said, well, then I'll make you a deal. He said, every day for the next 30 days, you devote time every single day to reading scripture and praying. You make that daily investment in your relationship with God 30 days in a row and we'll get together a month from now and if you're still finished with God, then so be it. You walk away. I don't think Ben slept very much during that month. I think he felt like he had kind of shot his mouth off a little bit. But Joel devoted himself to the discipline of scripture and prayer every single day and he and Ben got together a month later and Ben asked him, so where are you at with God? And Joel said, I'll tell you, Ben, It's about this much better, but it is better. You do what you can do day after day after day, and the cumulative effect is that you will be drawn into a life with God. It's about making a priority of investing in your relationship with him. I mean, make a mental list for just a second of the activities that you do in a regular day, just kind of an activity log and beside it, imagine what kind of minute designation you would put beside each of the activities in your imaginary log. This is your imaginary activity log for the day. As you're looking at that imaginary activity log, ask yourself the question, how many of those things are as or more important than investing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I know, me too. We have to make a commitment to stop waiting to find time to connect with Christ, but instead to commit to making time, making it a priority, clearing other things out of the way so that we can invest daily time in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like? It looks like just doing what you can do. Don't do what you can't do. Just You don't have to pray for an hour. You don't have to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek. Just do what you can do. Commit this week, every day this week, commit to 20 minutes a day. Spending 10 minutes reading a chapter out of the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is all about people reflecting on their relationship with God. And so you read a chapter out of the Psalms and reflect on that person's relationship with God. And reflect on what that tells you about your relationship with God. And just spend some minutes thinking about what a relationship with God could look like. And then spend 10 minutes praying. If you're not much of a, a prayer, here's a simple format you can use. It's called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Spend two and a half minutes in adoration, talking to God about why you love God, why you love who he is. And if you can't think of anything to say, put on a worship tune and let that be a prayer. Adoration, C is confession. Spend two and a half minutes telling God what you don't love about how you've been behaving lately and the ways in which you still need him to do some radical changing in your life. T is thanksgiving. Tell God 
what you're thankful for, but what he's been doing in your life and in the lives of those that you love. And then S, supplication, it's a stupid churchy word that just means ask God for stuff, but acta didn't make a whole lot of sense. So um, just ask God for stuff. Ask God for the stuff that you need to live the life that he's called you to live and to be the person he's called you to be. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Two and a half minutes each. Ten minutes reading a chapter out of the Psalms and reflecting. Ten minutes in prayer. Every single day, carve out that 20 minutes as a priority for the entire week and see whether God doesn't meet you somewhere in there. As a way of habitually, repeatedly nurturing your attentiveness in a repetitious kind of way. That's what discipline looks like. It looks like nurturing attentiveness because as Rick Warren has said, the only direction you can go when you're coasting is downhill. And repetition. As it's been said, when you're eating an elephant, just do it one bite at a time. You invest in those two kinds of disciplines in a regular way. And I promise you, you will experience a brand new kind of life. I promise you, you will begin to experience the transformation of life and you will begin slowly but surely to run the kind of race that lets you win the prize of a life that is at peace with the world in relationship with God. Because it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the spirit that God gave us gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It is a life of love, loving God each other in the world that is accomplished by God's power partnering with our self-discipline so that we run the race and win the prize of the life you've always wanted. Let's pray together. Father, um, I am the first person to concede that I get lazy in my life with you. I don't invest the time, I don't invest the energy or make the effort to do the things that I know nurture the attentiveness to what you're doing all around me all the time and to engage in the repetitious disciplines that draw me closer to you. And God, I'm sure I'm not alone. In this boot camp season, God, would you challenge us and inspire us with your energy to make the investment, to go into strict training so that we can run the race to win the prize. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.